For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Vikings. Come out and play. Cousins throws. Passes. Caught for the win. Kyle Rudolph and the Vikings are moving on. You are now listening to the Believe in Vikings podcast with BMAC and Baker. Welcome to Believe in Vikings with BMAC and Baker. I am your host, Dustin Baker. I am here with Super Bowl champion, national champion, Pro Bowl for the Minnesota Vikings, Bryant McKinney. What up, Patna? How you doing? I'm, I'm in not, the building. Not too bad, my man. Uh, um, we are going to dive into the game that could have been with the Tennessee Titans this week and discuss some of the excitement that came out of that and some of the sorrow that came out of that. Uh, and then we are going to do our first uh, fan segment. We have Dave from International Falls who will be calling in, um, originally from St. Paul, Minnesota, but he's now in International Falls, Minnesota. And then we will unpack the upcoming Texans matchup. Um, but first, okay. we are going to talk about betonline.ag. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be online on all the excuse me action at Bet Online. Um, the Vikings are slight underdogs this week, heading to Houston. Um, if you, for once, think the Vikings will get off the Schneid and win that game or cover the spread, head to BetOnline.ag to place that bet. From game uh, spreads to totals to teams to players to coaches, all the props are there waiting for you. Bet online gives you more options to wager than any other place online, and there's always the casino that's open as well. So head to betonline.ag today and take full advantage of all of the great sign-up bonus bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. All right, good sir. We lost to the Titans in our building. We're 0 2 at home. We lost 31 to 30. What was your initial reaction from that loss? It's going to be another tough week here at the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that too. Um, I just felt like 
I really don't know what, like what it is like. It's just being outplayed. Um, you just gotta eliminate like a few things, whether it's you know penalties. I mean, you just gotta make some plays at a certain point. I, and I just feel like I don't want people to lose the morale in the locker room and and get into the um, the feeling of just being okay with losing. You know what I mean? Yeah. There needs to be a breakthrough that happens very soon. So people can know what it's like this season, know what it feels like to win. And, uh, you know, try to get it together. Yeah, there were signs of life in this game. Um, the offense mm-hmm. moved the ball. They did the stuff that we said to ha- um, needed to happen. So time of possession was relatively even. Uh, we ran the ball very effectively. Dalvin Cook had the best game of his career. And lo and behold, um, our rookie from LSU, the man that is slated to replace Stefan Diggs, had mm. an absolutely extraordinary game. Mm. And then we lost by a point. Um, on that final drive, uh, you, Mr. Offensive Line, I want you to tell us, I mean, maybe it's as simple as it just flat out sucked. But um, that was a moment where when you have a quarterback like Kirk Cousins where you're playing, paying him a bunch of money, you're hoping, all right, this is why we have him. All he has to do is get about 35 yards, and then we got a pretty damn good field goal kicker. We can get out of here and win this thing by two points. But the offensive line was um, garbage, and Cousins was on his back on every play. Uh, what did you see on that drive? Um, offensive line who... Just basically was allowing like the two minute drill to kind of get the best of them, and you know I, I played offensive lines too, so the two minute drill is something where you know everything is pass rush, you know what I mean. So you just have to have that mindset like it's a hurry up offense and everything's gonna be pass rush. You got to communicate. You're at home, not even much crowd noise, so it's just like pass things off and communicate. And and center got to call things out, but I feel like there was a lot of confusion and a lot of uh, just people not getting off the ball like as fast as they could have and which resulted in quarterback getting hit a lot. And out of all times in the game, that was the worst time for this to happen. Oh, it absolutely was. I won't say that the offensive line did a great job throughout the game. They did very well um, run blocking, and that was evidenced by Dalvin's big day. Mm. Um, but Kirk was effective for a lot of the game. I mean, hell, he had three touchdown passes, and it seemed like, at the, like you said, the worst possible time, they decided that they were overmatched. And... They knew, I mean, with a three-man rush, I think four, three or four-man rush, they were just feasting on him. And, mm. oh, that was frustrating because um, as a lifelong fan, there are certain moments where you can tell that something bad is going to happen. And uh, when that game started to turn the tide in the opposite directions of the Vikings' favor, it felt like that old feeling of doom and gloom was setting in, the one I haven't experienced since around 2013, um, that the game, even though uh, they were ahead, that they were going to let it slip away. Um, so we'll get more into Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook. Was there anything outside of those two obvious performances that you liked that the Vikings did? So subtract Dalvin and Jefferson. Was there anything that you saw that was uh, that can be built upon? Um, yeah, I mean, I felt like I've seen glimpses of like a good offense out there but it just wasn't consistent enough. So I feel like they have to really work on consistency and execution. But you've seen the glimpse here and there and maybe running, running the ball more. And that's why I would say you don't want to get down. Even though you're not on the road, you, I guess this team doesn't want to get down because then forces the guys that have to be in pass protection mode a lot often. And maybe they, you know, to me, looking at two-minute drill, it looked like they might have been outmatched as far as pass 
rush pass protection wise. So um, running the ball and wearing out your opponent, that was something I've kind of said at the beginning of the season too. It was like, that's kind of an offensive lineman's friend is being able to run at a defender and wear them down because it'll slow them down eventually. In the, well, I know for me that's what it worked. Yeah. It would slow them down eventually in the run. Yeah. And. And we had we had that going, so that was another reason that it felt so strange to let it slip away. Because typically, when a Mike Zimmer team is running the football, um, it's lights out. Um, but the defense defense still was not very good. Now, the Titans have probably the best downhill runner in the game right now in Derrick Henry. So, if you were looking for especially in that second half, if you were looking for a situation like, all right, we just need to stop the run and hold on to this lead. Derrick Henry was probably the worst guy you want to look at the other side of the field and see because he's going to get his yards even against a damn good defensive line. So he, of course, was going to feast on this Vikings current hodgepodge of a defensive line. Um, so again, that part was frustrating. Um, the other glass half full part of this, and maybe maybe you thought this is, this is what you'd expect from an upper echelon AFC team. So the Titans went to the AFC Championship last year. Now they're 3-0. and So in that spirit of optimism, it was very good to hang tough with a team that is probably going to be pretty good. Uh, it would have been a lot sweeter to get the win, um, but it felt like it felt like we belonged in a game with them. And if they are a top three or four AFC team, um, not going to say the Vikings are a top three or four NFC team, but it felt like the Vikings belonged in that football game against a well-coached team. Did you feel that way at all? I feel like they actually did a good job, especially for how you know well Tennessee did last year. And um, I feel like they played them better than anybody else they played so far. So it was a good game, um, the whole game. Um, just the end result, you know, just came, you know, came up short. But um, I don't know to look at this as a sign of improvement, like they're playing, they're getting better. And, and But it still wasn't satisfying because we didn't get a win. Yeah, and that's the thing that's not, how can I say it? Shouldn't put a smile on your face because we go to Houston and normally going on the road against a, almost elite quarterback into Sean Watson. Usually those games for the Vikings are ones that we don't escape with a victory. So we will get to our predictions later on here. But if that um, meeting is one that does not go well, um, you kind of start to look at, shoot, is this going to be a, an 0-5 start? Um, it's just, uh, it's nerve wracking. Um, I don't think a team can rebound from an 0 and 5 start, let alone, you know, 0 and 3. But when you start to peer at the schedule, it looks like if we don't get this Houston game, it's very likely that the Vikings will be 0 and 5. Right. Uh, and I just feel like this Houston game, honestly, is going to be a tough game. Um, Houston is playing, you know, pretty decent and they'll be at home, uh, and to be honest, I feel like when we originally did this, I'm not sure if I picked us or if I picked Houston. I feel like I might have picked Houston. No, we haven't got to that yet. So you still got uh, about uh, 20, 25 minutes or so to get to that. So you and I have both picked the Vikings to win the past two weeks. Um, but we'll get, to our, we'll get to our predictions here um, shortly. Another thing on these last three games and this game was turnovers. Um, there was a route that was run by Justin Jefferson that I don't think was run correctly. 
and it was the first play of the second half, and it was intercepted, and the guy should have scored a touchdown, but the, I think Clowney had an illegal block in the back, so uh, I think we even end up getting the ball back without them getting any points, but um, right now the Vikings are upside down in the turnover differential for the year, and it's you can set a clock to it. At the end of the year, when you go look at teams that are upside down in that in the turnover differential, those are the bad teams. And the teams that are going to the playoffs are the teams that have benefited from turnovers that are for, they're forcing them, first of all, and then they are um, not turning it over themselves. So Dalvin Cook had a fumble, and Kirk had an interception. And I don't think that it's a big surprise. I'm sure you had virtually every coach that you ever played under um, was, you know, was anti-turnover. Am I, am I wrong? Mm-hmm. No, you're correct. Uh, the turnover, you always, that's one of the things we talk about in the locker room is a turnover battle you always want to have less turnovers than your partner, of course. And um, turnovers can – and then when you get a turnover, you want to kind of score, whether it's three points or seven points, um, and take advantage of the turnover. So that that's one of the things that's on our boards is the turnover margin um, in, between teams. And normally the team who has the most turnovers is going to be the team that loses. Um, and that's why we kind of emphasize once you create a turnover, try to score off of it or, or put your offensive position where they're scoring at least three points. Amen. Um, on Dalvin Cook. So this was the best game of his career. He had 100 and I believe 81 rushing yards. Mm. Everything was cooking with Cook, and <laughs> Justin Jefferson exploded. Um, so it's just absolutely mind-boggling that the Vikings could have two players have prolific days and still find a way to lose. Were you when you watched it? I mean, was it? Is, did that stand out to you? Because for me, I'm telling uh, anybody that would listen, like these, you shouldn't have two players having the, that big of a day and then you, you leave the place with a loss. Right. That's that's the thing. It's like they had great days, but then also too. Um, yeah. And then it came down, you know what it came down to at the end. Um that final drive, and it's just that's why I say it goes back to saying it wasn't satisfying to see it, you know, end like that with two players, these big games. Um, I just feel like on the Titans side, on offense, they, you know, were running the ball. And can we look at the time management thing as well? How, what was the time? Um, that was the Vikings had the ball for 28 minutes, I believe, in 40 seconds. Mm-hmm. And that's a hell of a lot better than it was the last it is. week. So, I mean, that, that's the whole reason that the game was close right there. Because yeah. Yeah, we, we possessed the ball. So, that it seems now like... Now it comes out against execution now at, the, at a certain point, too. Like now you have to execute. Like, okay, we've gotten, we've gotten better in that, in that area of the uh, time differentiation. But now, like, you have to actually execute while you have the ball. Okay. Well, that makes sense, too, because we had all of the momentum from Justin Jefferson's um, rather incredible touchdown. And the, I was going to say the place was rocking, but that was just our, our houses. Uh, there wasn't hardly any people there. But the feeling was one that was um, extremely exciting because we were seeing our 21-year-old wide receiver bust out of the womb. Um, mm. And so some some backstory there. Right now, Justin Jefferson has more yards through three weeks than Randy Moss had in his rookie season. So um, he's got a long way to go to live up to that legacy, but... What we're dealing with here is a guy that is as prolific as Moss was in his first three weeks, 
He leads all rookie wide receivers in receiving yards right now with 245 through three weeks, and that's better than uh, the dudes that were drafted before him, like C.D. Lamb, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, uh, Jalen Regor. And um, let's see, what was there was one more. So as a 21-year-old, um, he has more yards as a tw- uh as a wide receiver, more receiving yards as 21-year-old in the first three weeks of a season than any 21-year-old has ever had before. So those are some unique stats that uh, accompany Jefferson's young legacy. And then this was the first time ever that a running back had 175 yards or more and a wide receiver had 175 yards or more ever on the same team in a game. Um, So when you look back at a stat like that, it's just absolutely insane that we would lose the game. And you're right about that. And, uh, <laughs> Especially as an, as an offensive guy like yourself, you're probably thinking, what more do you need from me? Right. That's what I really am thinking. Like, jeez, I mean, I really don't know what to say because, I mean, there was a lot of good things that, you know, that were done, but it just wasn't enough to, um, you know, get us over that hump and get us out of there with a win. Yeah, I'm with you. Another positive thing, um, in addition to obviously getting Justin Jefferson involved, was that, uh, and it was kind of a side dish to that. Um, there was no longer any tunnel vision for Kirk Cousins. And if anything, it was tunnel, ver- tunnel vision for Jeff- Justin Jefferson. Uh, one of the things we talked about was him targeting Thielen against the Colts, and everybody in the world knew it was going there. Um, so there was a touchdown pass to Kyle Rudolph, which was absolutely a fantastic catch. And then uh, Jefferson, needless to say, exploded. And then Thielen got in on the action with the touchdown. So um did you see things from Kirk Cousins that were that gave you hope? I did, but I always feel like I've seen things from him that gives me, you know, hope. Um, I always question why the fans were always so hard on him. I feel like that just stems from, you know, his previous team. But um, I feel like he always shows, like, a little potential. I think this team can come around. Um it's just a matter of when, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You can't come around too late because then at that point it's like you don't put yourself too far in a hole, you know, but I feel like the team could potentially come around, but it's just like at this point now it's like we'll win. And, uh, you know, it's hard to sit and watch the team go on three. It's hard to sit here and, and then you got a tough opponent coming up next week on the road. So I don't know, you know, how, where I sit with that, like personally. So, well, it's the, just tough. Like, that first quarter is going to be a tough first quarter. Remember how I always told you you wanted to kind of go, you know, like three and one each quarter. You yeah. Know, break it down. Yeah. Two and two at the most. But right now we're sitting at zero oh and three. So yeah, the best we can the best we can do for this quarter is one and three. And right. obviously it could be zero oh and four if Houston um, shows up to play. And we're, we're going to talk about them in just a minute. Um, but yeah, if you're dicing it up in quarters, it's not going to look sexy no matter how you dress it up. Um, right. The problem is, so here, here's what I think is the problem. So we can see inklings of success um, and excitement, but at some point you're going to be one and three, zero and four, zero and five, one and five, and other teams are already passing you by. So mm-hmm. while I could certainly get on board with a one and two start that could be rectified. If it if it goes down the drain to zero and four, I mean, then you need to start playing near perfect football in order to get out of that. And I know you you on the Vikings have turned things around um, before when you were a player. Uh, I'm just concerned that 
it doesn't matter if we hit our stride in week 12 because <laughs> it'll be too it's late. Too yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, when we talked about Cousins and you talked about the fans, a lot, some of them being hard on him, where would you place him in your obviously it's not a top five, but would you have him in a top 10 or top 15? Um, where would you, I mean, maybe you don't sit or sit around and rank quarterbacks like us uh, crazy people do, but where, where would you put him in what tier of quarterback in the NFL? I would put him anywhere between um, 11 and 15. Okay. And, and you're on record of thinking that is good enough to win a Super Bowl, correct? If we, if the rest of the team with, was with, pretty... with the supporting cast. Okay. Um, But like other people like, you know, everything falls on quarterback, but other with the supporting cast, other people have to really step up and do their job too. But I mean, he still has some room to grow. Okay. So, so you got him between eleven. I and mean, because where did you where did you look at Joe Flacco when we won? Oh God, um, I still look back on that stretch and live in awe of it. Um, I don't think well, my, I certainly didn't see something in him before everybody else did. So. Oh boy. I thought that he was a good young quarterback. So at the time he would have been about 27, 28, I think in his prime. So probably right in that tier, like right. on a good day, maybe eighth, ninth best on a usual day, probably about 12th or so. And then when he has a bad game, like almost every quarterback has probably falls back into that 15th or 16th. Right. So this is how I kind of look at cousins as well Is like, you know, can do enough to kind of get your team there, but you also need a supporting cast. And I feel like Joe Flacco had a supporting cast where he had his offensive line helping. He had Ray Lewis and every on defense. Like, you got to still have your supporting cast, you know what I mean? So you just do enough and everybody that's around you, like the supporting cast, you know, comes and does their part. Okay. Well, yeah, I agree. Um, Cousin statistically in the last uh, see five years since he became a starting quarterback, he is right in that seven eighth best in the NFL for passer rating but then you have the young guys that have taken him over like uh Patrick Mahomes and stuff so yeah I think that assessment is fair especially when we're sitting at 0-3 that 11 to uh, 15th so um, I have a question yeah who are the, like the true leaders who do you look at as like the true leaders on the team right now like the vocal leaders who kind of get things going like who who are those guys um, on this team, so they lost a big one in Everson Griffin, um, mm-hmm. and Anthony Barr was one, I believe, and he's lost. Mm-hmm. So from what I know, and I am not an insider, um, I do think Kirk is a vocal leader on offense. I mean, I've seen him, watched him give the, like, the pregame speeches. I think he's a decent leader. Um, I think Harrison Smith is a leader on defense. I don't personally know if he's a vocal son of a gun. I would just assume that he has an aura of leadership because he's been there for so long. Uh, mm-hmm. Kyle Rudolph is probably an emotional leader because he's got that, that uh, my goodness, this is, what, his ninth year on the Vikings? And um, But in terms of personality, I can't, since I've never been lucky enough to hang out with these these dudes, I don't know if there's one that can galvanize them like Everson Griffin did, and we know verifiably that's what he did. So, But that's, as you know, in team sports, somebody is going to emerge. It could be Eric Kendricks, um, but somebody would have to step up and lead. Did you have somebody a... Somebody needs to. What's that? Somebody needs to. Yeah. Is that what you're kind of looking for? Yeah, because I feel like um, a lot of teams like that, like, you know, Ray Lewis was that guy, Terrell Suggs was that guy on the Baltimore team. And then, you know, when we were in, when I was in Minnesota, you had people like Randy Moss, Dante Culpepper, um, you know, Adrian Peterson, Brett Favre, when he was there. You had those guys you need that sometimes. Because sometimes 
you may not feel your best, but you have some guys who can say some words to lift you up and make you feel like, I don't feel my best, but I'm going to go ahead and give my best. Like, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. you need that. And that's why I'm wondering who is that in the locker room? You know what yeah. I mean? That everybody kind of respects and can motivate people. Yeah. Well, that's um, we'll have to watch for that. I, I think that those dudes are there, and maybe we're just not seeing it from a distance at home. Um, but, yeah, maybe that's what we need. Maybe we need somebody to take that mantle and be feisty and get mm. these guys fired up. All right, so for the first time ever, this is episode five, we are going to embark on a fan segment. Um, right now on the line, we have Dave from International Falls, originally from St. Paul, St. Paul, excuse me. Hey, Dave, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, Dustin. Oh, of course. We wanted to kick things off in style and bring you on the show. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions um, because you're a Viking fan, and that's what we're all about. Um, just for starters, when and how did you become a Vikings fan? Uh, I was cursed into Vikings fandom by birth. <laughs> um, I would say I really became a fan probably in 98 because that was right about when I turned five, and that's about when you get old enough to know, like, the purple guys are good, and they're the ones you want to score. Yeah. And it was also the year that was so exciting to watch, and that's like the way to captivate a five-year-old is to have offense score every time they touch the ball. So that was definitely yeah. a good one to kind of like come into focus. And it yeah. was also a good one to learn as a Vikings fan because it taught you right away that it was like going to inevitably end in sadness and failure. Yeah, so that, that's how it's going to go. Um so you've never wavered, correct? You've been you've been a purple fan from the jump. Yeah, I don't know. I think so. I mean, I you have other teams that you kind of will sort of follow, but yeah, it's been Vikings, Vikings for life. All right, cool. <laughs> All right, well, we got uh, as you uh, as you can hear, we got Brian McKinney on the line, and he was with the Vikings for about a decade. Um, so uh, I want to introduce you two. Um, so more on to some of the current topics um, for the 2020 season. Um, do you believe at 0-3 that this team is salvageable, or what is the realistic outlook now that we are staring at 0-3? I think kind of two things about this. Salvageable in terms of actually being a competitive playoff contender. There's a world where it happens, but realistically, I think there's probably just too big of a hole to dig out of with the um, deficiencies on this team. I mean, you look and it's like matches up like the cornerbacks that we have compared to the quarter or the cornerbacks we have and the quarterbacks that we're going to play coming up is going to be tough, tough to keep up with and digging out of 0 and 3. That's kind of a tough mountain to climb, but I think, it's salvageable in terms of being an entertaining season. If we watch those first two games, it's like this lifeless, putrid corpse of a football team that's like, <laughs> I'll watch it till the end because I want to watch it because yeah. I watch every game. But it was tough to see. And the last game was more, it was more a team that you can watch and say they're going to win some games going forward. Yeah, it was certainly exciting with the offensive production. Um, Brian, do you remember being in holes like this, whether it was on the Vikings or I don't think it – well, I think in the Ravens maybe and Dolphins that you dug yourself out of as a team? Uh, I know with the Vikings for sure we had a slow start in my past, in my nine years there. Um, and we were able to dig ourselves out. But uh, 
I'm hoping that this is what can happen with this team. I hope they don't just start buying into and get used to losing. Yeah, that would not be helpful at all. So that was two. We've talked about that last week. That was 2008 when you were suspended. Was there was there another season where you guys were off to a rough start? I can't think. 2005, we had got to a slow start too in 2005. Okay, okay, that's um, fair. That was Dante. But, uh, um, other than that, you know, not too often. Um, but it takes a lot of the team to kind of build like a morale to and want to win and and not you know keep going back into work on you know monday uh with that cloud over your head of losing so what about what about when you get close um dave said that you know gave him a sense of hope that they were competent for this game what about as a player when you get damn close like the vikings did and surrendered you know lost by a point does that how does that feel as opposed to just getting your ass kicked um getting close it still doesn't matter. It's still a loss. Like you really need a win to kind of make you feel like, okay, now I feel like we're getting on the right track, and now we need to take that same approach we took last week that got us that win. To have the same focus and approach this week as well. Okay, fair enough. Um, all right, Dave, back to you. So, with the scenario that you spelled out, that you have some optimism that they'll be entertaining. Realistically, they probably won't be a playoff contender. Um, what does that say about Mike Zimmer? This is his seventh season um, in the scenario that you described where it's like a seven and nine finish or something like that. Is he still the right head coach for this team, Dave? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, it's that scenario I described that it's, you can reasonably expect it, you know, it's the seventh season. So you want to see him get over that hump, but at the same time going into it, you kind of knew that this was a possibility with all of the departures, and then on top of that, you get Michael Pierce opting out. You have Daniil Hunter. Is he going to come back? You don't really know. You got Barr out. Um, and now even Hugh, the most tenured cornerback, Hughes, is hurt too. So it's like you, you kind of see it. And if it's a whole season like those first two games, then I don't know. I mean, I know he just signed an extension, but you could kind of see heads rolling if it's like that. But if it's six, seven, eight wins, I, I don't see him going anywhere. Okay. Well, that's kind of what was, like you said, exciting about this last game is it didn't after, well, how should I say it? With this game against the Titans, it felt like a team that was a lot better than 3-13 and 13 because 3-13 and 13 would have been a goal for that uh, team to set for the first two weeks, especially in the Colts game. So in terms of Zimmer, the thing that's weird about coaches' contracts is that we never really know how much they're for. So you could pivot and say, well, yeah, Zimmer is supposed to be the coach for the next four seasons, but I don't know if those contracts are as bindable as like you know guaranteed money that we all know about for a player. So you think it would have to take a pretty miserable 4-12 like showing for Zimmer to be jettisoned? Well, I think that the Wilfs have made it pretty clear that they want to win, you know. So if it's real-life money that takes being parted with, you know, with Zimmer, I don't think that's something that they're totally afraid of. Instead of, like, like everyone wants to tank for Trevor and they, you know, illustrate how you could get rid of Kirk Cousins. And it's like that's a lot of a, a harder thing to do when you have whatever that $41 million dead cap is. Yeah. Zimmer, it's it's real life money, but 
Yeah, there's I don't I don't I don't think coaches are bound by a hard cap like the NFL is, and it's so. Well, funny. yeah, they're not they're not subject to any kind of salary cap concerns. But yeah. again, we're talking so quick. It's three games. It's like yeah, yeah. A month ago, that, we liked all these guys. Yeah, that's the problem with the uh, the immediacy of the digital age. For better or for worse, it's uh, when a player has a spectacular game. You know, he's MVP MVP contender. Um, when you have the start like this, then everybody needs to be <laughs> fired. So it's rough. Uh, Bryant, what is your take on Zimmer? Do you think that he'll survive this season if it's not a winning one? Um, I, I normally feel like when coaches have to have multiple losing seasons, okay, then it become an issue. Like I feel like eventually some teams will have an off season. Um, do I think he'll survive? I think so. I mean. We still, like I say, it's game three, and I can't. I don't have. I don't have too much more time. I keep saying it's early. Yeah, because we're, we're almost done. The, we're almost done the first quarter. Um, but I mean, we we got to just see how he can turn things around. If he can turn things around. Yeah, I kept thinking to myself all the way up until this podcast started, like. It would have been so much better if they just would have found a way to win that game at the Titans because we'd be all jazzed with momentum. Um, that putrid start would be largely extinguished and forgotten. But nope, they had to. I think I, I even wrote about this, or perhaps I was just talking about with a coworker that when that fourth quarter hit, I got that old nasty feeling that we used to get before Zimmer that this, I told my wife, I was like, something is going to go bad in this game. And I haven't had to say that a lot, believe it or not, during the Zimmer era, um, just because the proof is there that usually we keep a lead. But when, when the, uh, Derek, Derek, excuse me, Derek Henry had those two touchdowns back to back, seemingly at will. I said to my wife sitting on the couch, I was like, something quirky is going to end this game. Now, it wasn't exactly quirky, uh, but they did choke it away and lose by one. Um, I'm sure, did you have a similar feeling, Dave, on the, on your couch? Yeah, I was like, so I, I was talking up Justin Jefferson for like months before we drafted him. Yeah. So I wanted to see that game so bad. And I watched him, you know, dance his way into the end zone. And uh, it was like a feeling like that you hadn't had since the wildcard game. It's like, wow, game's actually going well. And then they blot away a touchdown in whatever it was, a minute. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, uh, something might be going bad here. And you know, it's Zimmer's a great defensive coach, but if he doesn't have the guys, you know, they're getting exploited by Mo Ali, Valdez, Raymond every week, <laughs> you know, going for 50-yard bombs. It's like, yeah, the team can score pretty darn quick. Yeah, do you hang your hat on um, any theory that might say this is an extension of the preseason with his defense that it'll incrementally get better? Or do you think, excuse me, based on the talent and the immaturity, so to speak, of some of the young guys, that it's just going to be hellacious throughout most? I I hoped that they're going to mature and get better on the fly, and they're going to have to if they want to turn this thing around. But do you think that this style of defense where – we're going to make Kirk Cousins win shootouts. Is that the norm for a while? I mean, I think that, yeah, I mean, there's just not the guy. Well, metrically, in this last game, they actually did quite a bit better. I mean, they stopped him on a bunch of third downs. They they let them bleed them. I mean, Henry got a lot of yards, but that's okay if you can stop him and you can stop him in the red zone. But then you got a guy who missed three field goals in a row two weeks ago, hit, you know, six 80-yard bombs, and that's the way it goes when you're a Vikings fan, I guess. Yeah, I was – I, I don't think they're 
ever going to – this year they're not going to be like a Mike Zimmer defense in the last five years just because of the guys they have. And I think when you said about five, six minutes ago about Michael Pierce opting out, that was a, a big dagger because he was that big body in the middle. And I think a lot of the I, I trust Zimmer to make the secondary work in time in a you know week or two or three it gets better and better. But um, although Shamar Stevens, according to Pro Football Focus, isn't doing too bad of a job, you just don't have the beef in the middle of the line to stop those downhill runners or pretty much any runner that gets hot. So, all right, a couple more questions, Dave. Um, if you were Rick Spielman, what is the first move that you would make this offseason, assuming that we finish in that bracket that you think like 7 and 9, 6 and 10, 8 and 8? What is the first move that you make, sir? My first move, if we win zero games or eight games or 16 games, which can't happen anymore. But my first move, no matter what, is I'm going to the guard store. I'm drafting a guard. I'm buying a guard. I'm asking the people down the street if they can play guard. Yeah. I don't. It's it's the one thing. You know, the other things are somewhat reasonable. Pierce opts out. Hunters hurt. Things you can't foresee, but anyone could see it from a hundred miles away. How this guard position? It was one of the worst in the league last year, and it got worse. So that that to me, that's the one that I can't get over. Were you stoked or excited about the the Joe Thune talk way back when? What felt feels feels like eons ago now, but um, right before the Trent Williams stuff heated up, and I don't know how substantiated it was, but I remember uh, thinking, um, you know, Thune th- could be realistic, um, and now it looks like that could really have been used. Um, do you remember that chatter? Yeah, I remember it. I remember it was like uh, Anthony. Harris was involved Mm -hmm. and I love him too. So that was like, you know, if it means getting a good guard, then awesome. But yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like, that would have been awesome. And even mediocre guard play is not that expensive. And what they have out there right now is so far from mediocre. I mean, it's Drew. I like you draft a guy and you hope he's good, but Drew Samia doesn't look like he should be a starting NFL player right now. No, and we thought that based on that reputation that he had of having a mean streak and stuff that would translate into talent, maybe it still will, but it certainly didn't look look like it right out of the gate. Um, okay, so we got uh, what you do is go to the guard store, which is apropos because we could certainly use one. Um, do you think the book is closed on Elfline? I mean, it, it, I. He got injured, I think, in his first year, didn't he? Because he was played pretty well as a center. Yeah. And left guards, it didn't work. And I don't know how you think you're just going to unlock some special right guard magic. But, <laughs> he, you know, his, he only played the one game, and it wasn't great. I think he gave up five pressures or something. But yeah. it was, you know, going up against Zedarius Smith. That's a tall task. But uh, he's a lot better than what they have out there right now. Yeah. How can it get worse? Well, we asked that. Just about every time, and every time it's answered with an emphatic, yeah, it can. Yeah, that's I'm guilty of that too. Um, I don't know if you read my stuff during the summer, but one of my arguments, and it still could work out, but one of my arguments on be, folks being nervous about the defense, and turns out that they were correct, was based on how Rhodes and Waynes played. That was really the only weak spot in the defense in 2019. So in two or three different articles, my argument was it's, it really can't get any worse than it was. And lo and behold, it's either been worse or about the same, um, mainly because these dudes are so young. Yeah, I'm guilty of thinking the same thing. And it's like, 
Well, now you look, Rhodes is like PFF's highest graded corner. Yeah, I was, I was excited in a twisted way that that first week, I think he had pass interference call and let in a touchdown, and it was like, oh, this is the same old feces from him. Uh, <laughs> you know. And then these last two weeks, and lo and behold, that defense, I don't know if you follow the numbers like uh, like a maniac like I do, but lo and behold, that Colts defense all is good in, in the metrics, uh, in yards allowed and points allowed. They're like tops in the business right now. Yeah, they've done really well. And Rhodes got to play the Jets and us when Kirk Cousins had like his worst game ever. So yeah. he could come down too. Yeah. But then um, another thing too is last year we kind of were spoiled by like Kendricks, Harris, and Smith were so amazing in coverage that they covered those guys up. And Smith's still doing well, but like they're not doing the insane otherworldly well. So yeah. it's harder to like cover those guys up. Yeah. And Mackenzie Alexander was still good last year. Yeah, that was the one that uh, I was like, ooh, when we we didn't retain him. All right, the last thing I got for you, my man, there in International Falls, Minnesota, um, pretty simple one. What is your unbiased prediction for Vikings at Texans, hopefully this Sunday? Yeah, hopefully. Um, <laughs> yeah. I My unbiased thought is that we're two pretty darn similar teams coming in 0-3 they played three really good teams so it's not like there are some unsalvageable Jets 0-3 um, and I think it's a shootout that we I'll, I'll say we lose by a field goal just because it's in Houston and they're allowed to have fans now I think they're gonna have like 12,000 fans and we might not get to practice until like Saturday. So of course we won't, huh? <laughs> well, and that means that your problem, unless you got something up your sleeve for the following week, that we're staring at zero and five. Then after Seattle, yeah. Well, oh. wouldn't that be this year where we get start zero and four, and then all of a sudden finally beat Seattle? <laughs> <one> time, <ever>? Yeah, <laughs> y'all, we'd get our hopes up, saying this is what we've been waiting for. Uh, I don't even want to think about Russell Wilson right now going yeah. against the oh. It's gonna be. Insane. Yeah, he's and insane. somehow it's not even going to be DK Metcalf. It's going to be some dude you've never heard of. He's yeah, going to have seventy yards and four touchdowns. Yep, they have let him loose. All right, Dave, my man, I appreciate you joining the show. Um, I got a schedule um of fans that I want to have on, and I hope to have you back later in the season. So uh, we appreciate it. Yeah, certainly, it was fun. I been listening to your last few, and it was nice. And I, it's a good show going on. Oh, thank you very much. Less disappointing. all right dave uh thanks again for coming on the show um we are going to transition now into the next game which is uh week four at the houston texans um the vikings we think are going to be going to houston this sunday um i don't know if you follow the news uh bryant but there was a coronavirus outbreak with the titans and several of their dudes have the virus And, of course, they, they played the Vikings this week. And so far, no Vikings have uh, the coronavirus. So we think that the game will happen on Sunday, but we we aren't sure about the practice schedule. I think they're supposed to be allowed back in on Thursday. Um, this was a perfect – when this happened, I selfishly thought I had to ask Brian about this. How much time does a team uh, need for practice to get ready for a football game? Like, so what about having meetings and stuff like that? Because normally, like... They would have to do, like, this, like uh, like a Zoom meeting. Really? Yep. Yeah, so normally, 
And when can they go back in? Um, I think they're slated for Thursday. Um, so as we're recording this, it's uh, w- Wednesday night. So I think in all in all, they're going to miss one for sure, one day of practice and maybe more. Um, but there was talk that they wouldn't be able to go back until Friday or Saturday. And I was wondering, wow. realistically, how long does it take a football team to get prepared for their next game? It takes you a couple of days. And Wednesday and Thursday is, is normally the, the meat and potatoes, the working days. Like Those are your hard hat days, Wednesday and Thursday. So those are the days where you're going through the plays. You're, you're, you're installing the plays. You're going through them at practice. And they don't have time to do that, really. You know what I mean? You gotta, it seems like you got to cram everything in if they're allowed back tomorrow. Um, cram it in. You got to cram in, you know, Wednesday and Thursday in one day. Or if they can't go into Friday, Friday's normally a day where it's a very light day. Um, you're not in full pads. You know what I mean? So it's hard to kind of emulate those things and be ready to play. Um, so I, could, I can see some mistakes being made. Uh, with, <laughs> no, with please that. no, please no. But uh, yeah, we'll yeah, we we'll have to see. Okay, that's what I was worried about. I didn't think that there was some magic elixir that could be used to get them ready without practice, and you pretty much verified that. Well, here's the deal with the Houston Texans: they have played a schedule from hell. Um, their first game was against the Chiefs, or yeah, the Chiefs. And then they played the Ravens and then the Steelers. So they have played three teams that don't have a loss. So they have been, I wouldn't say pounded, but they've been dealt with by three extremely good football teams. And outside of maybe having the Seahawks on that schedule or this version of the Packers, you can't really script a more difficult schedule. So our condolences go out to them. I think on tomorrow night when we collaborate with the, the Texans, believe people will will have to either talk about that or rub it in. But to my point um, on this is that just at, and I've, I've said this before for a couple weeks on the show, just as we're feeling desperate, so are they. They are a team that is 0-3, just like the Vikings, and they have a history of turning around in 2018. The Texans started 0-3, and they made the playoffs. So they've done this before. They didn't have... Uh, this time around, they don't have DeAndre Hopkins, so it won't be quite as easy. Um, but the folks that we'll talk to tonight, uh, tomorrow night on the Texans podcast are going to have the same feeling of desperation that we have. Um, so, yeah, they have the prerequisite the thing, experience of turning Sorry around. to cut you off, but the one thing I can say about, about it is um, the guys could be a little more fresh because of the less pounding. But if there's some way to mentally uh, prepare for, like, the installments, you know what I mean? Yeah. That could work, and it gives them an extra day to be more fresh. So it, it could help that way, but that's about it. Okay, fair enough. So, yeah, Deshaun Watson is their quarterback, and anybody that falls NFL knows that. So he doesn't belong on an 0-4 football team. He is too dynamic, um, too prolific. Um, so that's what worries me about this game is that you have to tame a desperate Texan animal um, that doesn't want to fall to 0-4, and it's on the road, and I think they're going to have a handful of fans there, a couple thousand. So we've got that um, up against us. But in terms of X's and O's, they are not a crazy talented team. Now, a lot of their statistics from this year are going to be skewed because they've played those dastardly good teams with the Chiefs, Ravens, and Steelers. But as it stands right now, 
Um, their offense ranks 28th in yards allowed and 28th in points scored, and they have been trying to adjust to life um, without uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Um, and that got me to thinking, um, how was there a humongous adjustment to life without Randy Moss? Yeah, I'm going to say at first year it definitely was because uh, yeah. he was a playmaker, and you know he would be in a huddle sometimes, and he'll tell Don, uh, Dante – you know, just throw it up to the corner. I'm going to be picking peanuts. That was his little saying, picking peanuts <laughs> off of, off the defender's head. So that's what they called it. Yeah. So sometimes we just felt like we was in a huddle. When he said to go do it, like we just kind of knew, like, hold your blocks. It's going to be yeah. – he's, he, he's going deep. Randy's going to make sure he's open. Hold your blocks so we can get off the field. So having somebody like that at any given moment, and they can come in that huddle and say, listen, do this, that, and the other, and I'm going to be open and can make this so open was a big deal. <laughs> so would he, that almost sounds like he's calling his plays or is he just waltzing in there and saying like, if you throw the ball at me, I'm going to catch it. Like or, pretty much like, I'm going to be open. <laughs> I'm going to make sure I'm open. Like, Hey, it's a pass play. You know, he's going through the whole uh, play of what everything is. It's a pass. So Randy's been saying, look, look for me. I'm going to make sure I'm open. They got such such over here. I'm a blue pass him. And if he, if he wants to jump with me, I can jump higher. Like, so that, that's where the whole picking peanuts thing came from. I've never heard that one. I love it. That's surprise. I thought I would have thought that would have made the media. Oh no, I've uh, I've heard we've heard like the NFL sound bites of him saying just throw it up. You guys can't jump with me. Oh yeah, yeah, we've yeah, heard all that. But I I've been obsessed with this team for twenty five years and I've never heard uh, picking peanuts. So oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm glad that you're able to reveal that because that's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, so. Uh, on the Vikings, so we talked about a, f- a few minutes ago that the defense, the cornerbacks are super young. Um, did you ever play on a super young team, or w- was it was there always a big veteran presence on the teams that you played in? I will say when I got to the Dolphins, it was a lot younger. Um, I probably was one of the older people on there. It was a lot younger, and I feel like their um, focus was probably different, too, because they were young. See, I feel like a lot of times when you're young, you're not taking care of your body as much until you get older. So you have to start taking care of your body. You know what I mean? Uh, you don't come in right away. And I just, that's because I feel like a lot of people don't know how to become be professionals right away. You have to learn, like just going through experience. But um, that just comes with time and being around, you know, the, the right players to show you the way. But uh, yeah, young teams sometimes can be a little like distracted, but not all young teams. Okay. But, you know, just some, it's like a lot of people and a lot of people who are leaders are young. They'll feel like they can get away with, you know, not doing some things because, you know, they'll be able to bounce back faster and recover faster from things too. So. Okay. Well, I'm hoping that um, brick by brick that the defense matures on the fly and this is not a lost season. And we saw against the Titans that the offense can do the job most of the time, or at least we think they can. So the fact that the defense kind of blew that game towards the end certainly doesn't give me pause, but it gives me encouragement to know at least one side of the ball is capable of showing up. Um, we just need a little bit more time to get through this preseason stretch uh, of four mm-hmm. games, and maybe the uh, defense will follow suit. So we head to Houston, um, as I said a few moments ago. Do you have any Houston memories or Texans stories or anything of that nature? Not really. Um, no, I remember playing them with the Vikings a few times and as well as the Ravens. 
I don't for some reason that was never a place that I really was like fond of yeah. going. But uh, I really don't have any stand-up memories there either. Though. No, okay. I uh, I dug up the players that would have uh, been in the league when you are, so I'm going to read them off. It's a long shot that you know any of them or have any stories, but J.J. Watt, mm. Randall Cobb, uh, Whitney Merciless, and Kenny Stills. Uh, did you ever cross paths with any of those dudes? Kenny Stills, I remember him. Okay. Was he, with the Titans? he was at the Titans before or something? Uh, Stills was with the... I remember him. Oh, uh, I I know that he was with the Dolphins. Um, All right, maybe I met him from the Dolphins. I, it just that sounds so familiar. And JJ, why? I mean, him have actually like went against each other a few times. He's lined up outside on the edge. Okay, and we we faced off a few times. So I remember him, but it was early in his career. Yeah, and he definitely wasn't the player that he became. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was early on, I was a veteran. He was young, so it wasn't like how it was for him like later on you know what i mean so sure. i feel like i always had my matchups a few times out of dave Wilkinson. i never had an issue with him but he's like since then definitely went on and developed and become a lot better player yeah uh kenny stills played for the saints and then um the dolphins i think right when you were wrapping up there and then now, okay. he's, well, now he's on the texans so in a very quiet way the texans have pretty good receivers depending on I guess who's throwing the ball, and you think they should be fine with Watson. Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, um, Randall Cobb, uh, and Kiki Cote. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. So they've got three receivers that know how to catch the football, and it feels like one of those squads that, you know, if Patrick Mahomes is throwing the ball or Russell Wilson's throwing the ball, that they're going to be just fine. And I would like to think that Watson is in that category. But so far, and probably because they've played very difficult opponents, they haven't collectively replaced DeAndre Hopkins. Um, it could be just like our defense, a work in progress. Um, right. But right now, that offense is not one that is to be feared. So I hope to God that they don't you know, hit their stride against the Vikings, which sounds like something that could probably happen if you're cynical about things. Well, I hope they don't pick the next week that they try either. <laughs> well, I really need our team so we can have a more uplifting and happier podcast. Oh, yeah. Really yeah, I was that when, when the Vikings when it looked like they were going to win when Jefferson had that touchdown and it felt like a mini Randy Moss feel about it or one of Adrian's breakout games. I was like, finally, we're going to get a radio show where uh, we're all smiles. But Right, it could be more exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right, a couple um, other notable things on this game. Um, you personally were 4-1 and one, um, against the Texans. You beat them twice with the Vikings, and then uh, they beat the crap out of the Ravens in one game. So um, on the whole, your team did well. Um, interestingly, interestingly enough, the Houston Texans have never beat the Vikings. Now they've only played, I believe, four times because the Texans didn't show up in the league until 2002 when they replaced the Oilers after six years. So in that regard, the Vikings are undefeated against the Texans. Take that as you may will. <clears throat> and then Kirk Cousins has never faced the Texans, and it's one of the only teams that he has not played yet. Um, earlier in the season, that was the same thing with the Colts. We know how that worked out. Not well at all. Um, but this is a team that um, Cousins will see for the very first time. Now, on their defense, whether it's because they've gone up against mammoth offenses with the Chiefs, Ravens, and Steelers, their defense has had problems this year. Um, they are giving up the most rushing yards in the NFL 
bar none. So they're the worst in the business. And they've given up the 29th most points. So they are allowing a ton of points to those very good teams. Um, they have done a good job um, in the secondary. They've only given up the third most passing yards. But I think that's because these these dominant teams are running the ball down their throat. Um, another very interesting thing about the Texans is they have not forced a single takeaway on defense. Uh, it's one of those things that you don't want to really say out loud too much because then they'll probably go get like three fumbles against the Vikings, but they have yet to first for, uh, force a turnover. And that's kind of bizarre for a team that was scheduled to be uh, pretty good. All right. Um, some notable players on these Texans, uh, obviously Deshaun Watson. Um, he's the, the signal caller. And then for a while, when he was super young, their offensive line was not good, and he was getting knocked around all the time. And it's kind of been a theme of Texans football is a uh, <laughs> lackluster offensive line. But they do have uh, Larami Tunsil, Nick Martin, Max uh, Sharping. So they've got the offensive linemen, at least in name, that are pretty decent. And then on defense, they have Zach Cunningham at linebacker, who's pretty solid, um, and J.J. Watt. So... The defense has not performed well as of yet, um, but we'll see if they find a way to do that against the Vikings. Uh, one other thing, tomorrow, um, Brian and I are going to get on a podcast with the Believe in Texans crowd, and they, I can't remember their analyst name, you'll have to forgive me there, but they also have Henry Thomas, um, who played for the Vikings, um, who's a defensive tackle for the Vikings for about six years in I don't personally know why he's on the Texans podcast. He never played for them. And when I first, when they first asked us if we would do it, I thought Henry Thomas, the Viking, uh, thinking why the hell. So he must have ties to Houston, Texas. Maybe he grew up there or something. Or maybe okay. he's maybe he's just a Texans fan. Um, but I'm I'm excited for that because as a Viking fan, I remember him. So, do you have anything else, Texans? You want to add? No, I'm looking forward to this interview tomorrow with them. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, so we are going to uh, get out of here, but we'll do our predictions first. And once again, I want to thank Dave from International Falls, Minnesota, for joining the show. He does does not think the Vikings will win this one. Um, I guess I can't fault him too much. Uh, I promised you guys and you, Bryant, last week that I'm not going to be a foolish person and pick the Vikings again. Um, And I, I don't really believe in jinxes, so I'm not doing this to reverse a jinx, but... On the road against Deshaun Watson, against a cornered, pissed animal, the Texans. I'm going to take the Texans 27-24, to and regrettably, the Vikings sink to 0-4. What do you got? I'm going to take the Texans 17-14, and I hope this is some type of jinx, so that's why I'm doing it. Yeah, maybe that's what we'll have to start doing. <laughs> yeah, we'll get, we'll get to the Lions. We'll be like, Lions, 49 nothing. Yep, right. yep. All right, big man. Um, that's all we got for tonight, unless you got anything else for us. Uh, no, that's pretty much it. All right, Playboy. Um, we'll see um, all of you tomorrow night for the Joint Texans collaboration, and then Bryant and I will be back one-on-one uh, -on -one with another guest in one week. Uh, so, Skull Vikings.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.